Okay, this is the Parashat Torah. I wanted to just mention that this year is dedicated members of the Moshe Shkober, I could, I could uh, say a lot of things about Rabbi Sober's given the opportunity. Uh, we worked together in the yeshiva for many years, and he had a, um, a strong influence on some of the students, the ones who were able to follow his reasoning and the way he thought about things which was not always so easy. But I would say that besides being a great Iwi, you know, in Torah and other things, you know, anything he wanted to learn, he was able to learn. He was also an um, outstanding mensch and was always willing and able to help others. And so I consider it an honor to be able to give a shear in his memory. Wife is here, and uh, uh, I hope that Moshe likes the shear. Although I imagine that he wouldn't. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, you know, hope springs eternal, as they say. You know, we can always hope. Now, uh, what I'd like to do is um, is the parsha is is Korah. I would like to try to figure out if we can put a finger on what happened. What happened? Now, there's, you're, you're at a disadvantage because the first section on the sheet um, is, the, is wrong. So I'm just going to have to tell it to you. And since, you know, everybody learns, gets through the first pasuk of every parsha with Rashi, I mean, if you don't do the whole parsha, but the first pasuk you probably do do. So everybody knows the Rashi by heart, so I'll just remind you of it. But that's, that's what we're going to start with. The Chumash says, the Chumash says in a kind of a, um, off-handed way, Vaikach Korach, and then there's a list of people who he took with him. Uh, he took... Uh, Datan Vaviram Beneli Ava On Ben Pelet He took a few people with him, and his intention was to create a stir. And he said things. He said things against Moshe Rabbeinu, against Aaron Akohen. He he had a problem with authority. He Korach. But the question that you have to ask about Korach is. Why was he successful? After all, after all, Korach took a stand against Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu took the Jews out of Mitzrayim, organized the various miracles that they had passed, had passed over them, had given them the Torah, had met with HaKadosh Baruch Hu daily in the desert. Uh, I mean, how did he do it? Correct. I mean, what was his great power that enabled him that enabled him to pull off to pull off this revolt against Moshe Rabbeinu? And the revolt was pretty successful until Hakadosh Baruch Hu put an end to it. Right? It says that after Korach complained, it says in the uh, in the parasha, 
that uh, just one second Vayishma Moshe Vayipol al Panav Moshe heard what Korah had to say and he fell on his face which to me sounds like Moshe Rabbeinu didn't really have an answer why didn't he have an answer? Why didn't he? Why could he just say, "Look, I uh, I know more than you do. I have given the Torah to the day Israel. I have the right to make decisions, even if they are decisions of a political nature, a political nature of a of a governmental nature." As we will see, that was the part of the argument that Korach had with Moshe Rabbeinu. So what I would like to do, what I'd like to do is tell you what Rashi said. Now since you don't have the Rashi to look at, I'm going to summarize it. I'm going to summarize Rashi and tell you what he said. The first thing, the first thing that Rashi says, the first thing that Rashi says is, Parsha zo yafa midreshet b'medrash rabbi tanchun. I don't know if Rashi wrote those words or not, but Rashi is sort of like, but let's say he did. Let's say Rashi wrote those words. He said, I am not going, I'm going to deviate from Pshat. I'm going to deviate from Pshat because Pshat doesn't give it to you. There's not enough information in the Pshat. So what I would like to do is tell you what the Medrash Tanchuma has to say. There's a Medrash on the Torah, on the five books of the Torah, called Tanchuma. Tanchuma was a name, name of an Amora, I guess, the, and Rashi, of course, knew the Tanhuma Barat. So he can include it. And, and sometimes he does, but this is a very long passage that he takes entirely from the Tanhuma, except for one point which we will get to. Now, what the Tanhuma says, what the Tanhuma first relates to the words Vaikat Korah. Korah took. Who did he take? Did he take himself? Did he take them? It's a kind of a, a language uh, uh, issue. Uh, like, like the word Vayikach uh, could refer to he himself, could refer to the others who came with him, could refer to some idea that he had. So Rashi discusses, uh, discusses that. And then uh, the Pasuk goes on and says, Ben Yitzhar Ben Right? Remember? Korach. Ben Yitzhar Ben Kahat Ben Levi. That was Korah, right? That's his lineage. But uh, the Pasuk does not include Ben Yaakov. Right? Levi had a father. His father's name was Yaakov Avinu, right? And the Pasuk does not relate Korah to Yaakov. Okay, so Rashi explains that. Uh, Rashi explains that, that, that Yaakov himself foresaw that Torah would be uh, one of his descendants and he didn't want to be included. He didn't want his name to be he didn't want to be his name to be mentioned so that according to Rashi, like if I'm trying to explain Rashi, Rashi says that even the opening Pasuk, which just gives the lineage of Torah, which itself is not an uncommon event in the Tanakh. Very often people are introduced to us and their lineage is accounted for. But nevertheless, here in this case, if you look at the lineage that is quoted in the Pasuk in the Torah, you understand that Yahweh really foresaw this terrible event that is called the, uh, the uh, revolt of Korah and his friends. 
So that's what Rashi says. Then he gets to Datan Aviram. Datan Aviram. I mean, we know something about them. We know something about them from the beginning of the book of Shemot. But here he says, he says, Bishmil Shayyat Shevet Ruvein Sharui Bechaniyata. Uh, so he, he, he says that uh, that that you could understand that the Tanva Aviram because they were camped close to uh, uh, Ruvain and Ruvain was the supplier of most of the people uh, who, who uh, as we'll see in a second of most of the people who revolted against Moshe Rabbeinu Ruvain was Ruvain was the, the one and um, and uh, therefore you learn this uh, this moral uh, position. Rashi liked that a lot. He liked to be able to put in moral notes. And he said, That's what you learn. Try not to live in a, in a neighborhood dominated by the mafia. So Ruvain was into this. Ruvain meant the tribe of Ruvain. They were into this revolt. They were into this revolt. And so that Aviram kind of got schlucked along into the into this uh, into this revolt. Then the next part of the pasuk, the next part of the pasuk says, uh, uh, or the next part of the Rashi, Rashi says, and the part that we're really interested in, uh, Rashi explains that uh, that the Korach had a had a problem with. Um, with, with the, the leadership and political problem. Okay, all of that is very interesting, but I'm, I'm specifically interested in the end of the Rashi. And Rashi says, What Ma'asa? What did Korach do? How did he get this thing going? How did he get people against, to go against? Moshe Rabbeinu. And now Rashi quotes something that is not in the Chumash, that is not really indicated in the Chumash in any way, but is found in the Medrash Tanchuma, as he said at the beginning. Listen to this story. Um, uh, one second. What did Karach do? Hamad Vikines. Reish Nun Rashesan Hadram. He brought 250 of the most important and most learned people that he could find. The Medrash says, Rashesan Hadraot. Sanhedraot are courts, are special courts. So the people on those courts were collected by Korach. Now, what did he do with them? What did he, what did he do? He said, uh, Ruban. Mishavet Ruvain Shchenad. Now most of these learned fellows came from the tribe of Ruvain who were camped close to him. Were camped close to him. Vehein Elitzu ben Shteiu v'chavira v'chayot seitoda. Elitzu ben Shteiu is one of the Siyim, the Siyim of Ruvain. Shneimar. He proves that that must be the two bench day. And then listen to this. What the what the measure uh, says. There'll be shan talitot shekulan chayvet. 
Imagine this scene, 250 people, they're all wearing talitot that are blue. You know, the old days talitot were white, and they had black stripes on them. I don't know if you ever noticed. You know, nobody notices. If you put them on every day, you don't notice. If you don't put them on every day, you don't notice. Then, in modern times, you suddenly see what they call the coats of many colors. Colors. So what, did, what was it that Korach said? He said, what happens if you have a talus which is all blue? It's all blue. Tchelet. Tchelet is, you know, special blue. Not regular blue, but special blue. You have a talus, do you have to put tzitzes on the talus? That was his question. He, Korach. And these are all these smart people are standing around. All these people who learned Torah, they were in yeshiva, they were sitting around and talking about difficult subyot. And Korach says to Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, if I have a talus, do I have to put sitzes on the talus? Now, to us today, this seems like an absolutely idiotic question. I mean, who would ask such a question? Of course you have to put the mitzvahs to put on sitzes. When the talus is blue or not, it doesn't make any difference. If it has that four quarters, you have to put on sitzes. But Korach was also a clever fellow, according to the Medrash. And so Korach said, do you have to put sitzes on a blue talus? What does he mean? And that's explained in the Medrash. If you have a regular talus, like it's white, or off-white, or whatever you call that kind of white, and you put on one blue string, because you remember, tzitzes, even though we make tzitzes, you know, like four long strands, if you ever made tzitzes, it used to be that everybody made tzitzes. But now you can buy tzitzes in the supermarket. <laughs> so why should you make them? But everybody used to make tzitzes. You took four long strands, and one of them was tchelis. One of the four was colored tchelis. That was either colored entirely tchelis or halfway tchelis. That doesn't matter. That's a halachic uh, uh, nicety. Right? Machlok is the Rambam and the Ramban. Thankfully, we have something to talk about. So you have four strands, and one of them is tchelis. One of them is tchelis. And then you tie it onto the talus. You tie it. Like you, like you make knots. Of course, the Jews can't do anything in a simple and obvious way. So even tying knots became a big problem. So we don't tie a knot, but we tie five knots, and we have to distinguish the knots from one from the other. So we have to make these kinds of drays with the scissors, and, and, and that's how we do it. But really, what we're doing is tying on one chutzel chelet on a beged that has four corners. So this is what Korach said. He said, if I have a talus, shakulo tchelis, that means all the threads in this beged are blue, do I have to add a chutzel tchelis, a single chut, where I've got the whole thing blue? And he came and he asked that question to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, yeah, yeah it doesn't matter if it's blue. You have to put on, you have to put on tzitzis. And everybody started laughing at Moshe Rabbein. That's the story that's told in the Tanchum. And that's the story that Rashi chooses to teach us how Korach managed to do it. How did Korach manage to convince everybody 
that Moshe Rabbeinu had gone feeble, <coughs> that Moshe Rabbeinu had, had uh, misunderstood, that there was a possibility that Moshe Rabbeinu was not giving us the real stuff. So you have to understand that one of the Midot Shatorah and the Dreshit by him is called Kalvachomer. You know what a Kalvachomer is? If it's true for A, so it's probably true for A squared. You know, that's a Kalvachomer. If it's true for A, it's true for A squared. No. So what did the Torah say? If one thread is enough, regularly at a white kind of talus, so I guess if the whole thing is blue, Kalvachomer, that should be enough. That should be enough. Now you have to understand something about the Kalvachomer. Just, just two things. One is that of all the Midocha Torah Nidreshit for him, and you know every morning you have that option. If you come to shul on time in the morning and you say, Birkat HaShachar, <coughs> you get the opportunity to say the Brayta of Rabbi Yishmael, which lists all of the Yud Gimel Midot of Halacha. The Yud Gimel Midot can be divided into two groups. Twelve and one. Twelve is all the Midot, and one is Kalvachomer. What's the difference between all the Midot and the Kalvachomer? Only the Kalvachomer is based on reason. Only the Kalvachomer is based on reason. I figure it out. If you had a Kalvachomer, all the other things, I can say, I compare a word here, and I compare a word there, and I say, oh, if us be talking about the same thing, there's no possible way that anybody on his own could figure that out. So that all the other Midot reflect tradition, the tradition of learning. Whereas Kalvachomer, that's an invention. That's an invention. Chachomim said about Kalvachomer, I hope I'm not getting too uh, boring you. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's about a, sh- a shear is a place to be bored, right? That's why, that's why we have them. The Gemara says, If you make a Kalvachomer, the Kalvachomer says, If A, then A squared. And if A, you transgress A, you get a certain punishment. Like let's say you get makot. The Torah says you get stripes for doing A. So you should certainly get stripes for doing A squared, right? But no, the Gemara doesn't like that. The Gemara says, Ein onchin min hadin. Din is a synonym for kalvachomer. That you don't punish a person if, you, if the prohibition comes from a kalvachomer. You don't punish him. Why not? Because Hazal understood that what we think is very logical and reasonable and makes a lot of sense <coughs> is really a kind of shaky thing. Because in another couple of years, somebody will come along and prove that the logic of today is not perfect. And therefore, the Kalvachoma that I construed might be unacceptable. And therefore, Chazal said, okay, you want the Kalvachoma to say something's forbidden? All right, so it's forbidden. But I'm not going to punish somebody because of your, of your Kalvachoma. And therefore, therefore, the Kalvachoma, Korach understood that the Kalvachoma was a weapon. Because what could Moshe Rabbeinu say? What can you say against the Kalvachoma? You can't say, it doesn't exist. Because that's the whole point. It's true, it didn't exist until, until I made it. Until I said the Kalvachoma, it didn't exist. 
So Moshe Rabbeinu, who taught B'nai Yisrael that they should use the Kalbachomer, he was now pitted against a Kalbachomer. And that's the point of Rashi. So when Rashi says, when Rashi says, I have to quote the Tanchuma, what Rashi means is, in order to understand where the power of Korach came from, how he was able to convince everybody that he was right, that Moshe Rabbeinu was wrong, it was at that moment when Korach said, it's a Kalachoma, and Moshe Rabbeinu said, well, I don't think so. Right? The arguments were clearly on the side of Korach. Now this argument, this argument or arguments like it, became the subject, a subject for writing the Mishnah, like much later, like 1500 years later, where the Jews sat down to start writing the Mishnah, they had, they had this question. And in Pirkei Avot, if you look at the second, uh, the second uh, source, in Pirkei Avot, they said it this way. They said, Kol machloket shehi l'shem shamayim sofa litkayim. Wherever there's a machloket, that is l'shem shamayim. So Kayen in the end, both of the sides of the Machloket <coughs> will find their way into our Jewish consciousness. It's not exact, an exact translation, but I like it. And something that's not a Machloket, that is not for the sake of heaven, Ein Sofa Litkayen. So, the Mishnah says you have to understand something about machloket, about a difference of opinion. And that is that there are two kinds. What is Ezuhi machloket Which machloket is for the sake of heaven? Which machloket is for the sake of heaven? So machloket Hillel Vashama. You know about Hillel Vashama? Hillel Vashama? were the first of the Zugot. And Hillel, Hillel generally wins. Generally. Hillel generally wins over Shammai. In fact, Hillel was the father, uh, became the Nasi. And his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren maintained that position. So Hillel didn't just win uh, in the debate about a particular halakha, but Hillel also won in the political arena. He became the Nasi, and his children and grandchildren, etc., all became Nasi. <coughs> so that's called the Machloket L'Shem Shammai. What do you mean Machloket L'Shem Shammai? I still don't know. I don't know exactly what the Machloket L'Shem Shammai is. But then the Mishnah goes on and says, L'Sheina L'Shem Shammai? What's a machloket she'eno l'shem shamay? Zo machloket korach b'chol adato. So this quote that we have just learned, this quote that we have just learned, is from the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, in the fifth pair. This is what Pirkei Avot says, has to say about machloket, but we don't quite understand it. In order to understand what the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot is talking about, we have to remind ourselves of a Mishnah in Eduyot. Eduyot is 
is a funny collection of halachot. It starts out, there's most Mishnayot are topical, like they're about brachot, or they're about Shabbat, or they're about Nezikim. There's a topic. And Eduyot is no topic. Eduyot is a collection made in an entirely different way. For example, the beginning of Eduyot, beginning of Eduyot lists all the halachot where we pass him like Shammai and not like Hillel. Even though we usually pass him like Hillel and not like Shammai, but there are some times that we don't, and the beginning in Eduyot lists those <coughs> things. Pesach. Now, one? Pesach. Example of the halakha that we put. Yeah, in a, in a minute. Masechet Eduyot Perik Alev Mishtadalev. You see? The last source on the page? Mm-hmm. If you don't include, uh, if, you, if, if you don't include uh, Botticelli's painting of Korach, which is something that you also have to make a laying up. <laughs> Ko machloket, I'm sorry, the last Mishnah, Perak Al Mishnah Dalit. Lama maskirim et divrei shamai vehilel levatala. So the Mishnah itself asks, why is it that the Mishnah is full of machloket? Why is the Mishnah full of machloket? The Mishnah says, Hillel says this, and Shammai says that. In many Mishnayot. So, if that's true, if that's true, that Hillel said this, and Shammai said that, and we know we pass him like Hillel, so why should you mention Shammai? What, what, why does the, the Mishnah present machloket. Anybody who's ever learned Gemara knows that, that, that uh, a page of Gemara doesn't go by without a machloket. That's sort of like the watchword of, of the entire enterprise of learning Torah. Let's figure it out. Why is there a machloket? But there's always a machloket. There's always a machloket. So the Mishnah here in Edu Yod says, in order to teach us that we should never try to erase the position of the other person. That's called that's called L'Shem Shammai. That's called L'Shem Shammai. Now, how do we explain that? So you know, the Maharal has a lot of, puts in a lot of energy, of his energy to try to explain what is going on. And I would say it this way. I would say it this way. That the Torah is hard to grasp in a perfect manner. It's much easier to understand what the Torah wants of us in a particular situation. But when we try to generalize the demands of the Torah, we try to say, Torah wants us to be this way or that way, this doesn't seem to be the opportunity to resolve that distinction, to say, oh, this is the right way. So that a machloket l'shem shamay is what Hillel says. Look, I think I'm right but I understand what Shammai is saying. I think that I am right, but it's not that Shammai's position is entirely 
without support. And that is a machlokit l'shem shamayim because Ile cannot ignore the position of Shama. It's not a knockdown, drag out kind of fight where there's a winner and a loser. <coughs> it's true that in Psach, you know, in determining the halal, we have to say something. We have to say something. So somebody asks me, somebody asks me, could I put the, the ladle back into the chalk after I take the chalk out? There's still a little gravy in the ladle. And, uh, you have to give an answer. But you can't say, well, that's a good question. You can do that in a sheer. But you can't do that if somebody asks you a question about halacha. You can't do that. You have to say, this is what you do. So that we live, the people who learn Torah, really live in two different kinds of worlds. They live in the world of seeking the truth, and the world of seeking the truth, according to the mission of Andrew Young, allows or, or necessitates Hillel trying to think on Shammai. And Shammai trying to think on Hillel. It's true. It's true that you have to decide. That's, you know, the deciders have to decide, but after you decide, you go back and learn the Gemara over again. Or you learn the Mishnah over again. There's no other, there's no other choice that we have. So a machloket l'shem Shammai is the machloket in which both sides recognize their limited vision. They would like to know what the Torah wants perfectly, but they realize that that's not an option. So they do as well as they can. They do as well as uh, well they can, and based on some arbitrary rules, we pass in like uh, Hillel and not like Shammah. So that the, the debate between Moshe Rabbeinu and Korach was about this question. Korach said there's only one possibility. The Kalvachomer wins. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, it's wrong. Korach was not able, Korach was not able to see the point of thinking about Moshe Rabbeinu's position. Because his interest his interest was in destroying Moshe Rabbeinu's authority. And the way he did it was by using the Kalvachomer, which was very hard, which was very hard to refute. So, I think that this, this lesson um, is, uh, is something that we should think about in our own learning, in the learning that we do. And everybody knows, everybody knows there's two kinds of learning that everybody, sometimes, you want to know the halachot, the halachot of X, or the halachot of Y, and so you learn them. You, you learn them, or you, you review them, or you get a book that tells you the answers to all kinds of, all kinds of interesting and odd questions. But there is also this idea of searching for emet. And Rav Nachman Abratzlov says quite clearly, quite clearly, that this word emet refers to the elusive nature of Torah. It doesn't refer to an it. It refers to understanding that we can never get to it. We can only be on the road to it. That's what Rav Nachman, that's what Rav Nachman said. That's why Rav Nachman said that we should uh, uh, try 
to cleave to people who have a more serious handle on Emet. Whoever those people may be. I mean, he has an idea, but, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, someone someone who, has, who has a connection, who you feel has a connection to them, that cleaving to that person is an important part of Emet, where the intellectual, academic learning is not going to give that to you. It's never going to get there. never get even close <coughs> to, the, to the Emet. It will only produce skepticism. So, this machlokit between Korach and Moshe Rabbein, to my mind, goes on today. It's not only Rav Nachman of Ratzel who had something to say about it, but there are many, I mean, many of us, many of us also feel sometimes that we'd like to uh, leave the world of analysis and get to the world of Emet, and sometimes we feel that the world of Emet is distressing. And so we go back to the world of analysis, which seems to be at least uh, more rigorous and, and have, have rules that, uh, that we can follow. Korach was the first one. So if the question of the Shir had been, why does the story of Korach even appear in the Torah? I mean, Korach took a stand against Moshe Rabbeinu and he and his team were slaughtered by God. Okay, but there's no Moshe Rabbeinu and there is no Korach. So what is the lesson that we could derive from the Korach versus Moshe Rabbeinu uh, conflict. So it seems to me, it seems to me that this goes on all the time. It's not that we're taking stands against Moshe Rabbeinu, Rahman but we have this, uh, this uh, attempt, we make an attempt from time to time to say, like, where is the truth? Like, where can I find it? What can I connect to? At other times, I just stick myself in the machloket. So, both of these things are true. Both of these things are, are true for us. I mean, because we are limited, we're limited beings. If you learn Torah, you understand in short order that you only understand a little bit of what is going on in the Torah. So, I say again, the Shir is dedicated in honor of the Yorzeit. Rabbi Moshe Sober, Zechron Oliv, Rechali, Lui Nishbat, Rabbi Moshe David Ben Shlomo, Zechron Oliv, Rechali, as we say, the Neshama Zohavan An Aliyah, which I think means that, uh, that when, when Torah is learned, but somehow it reflects the Neshama, it's, it's like the Neshama gave Torah a push in that direction. So there's no possibility other than that the neshama will have an aliyah. And even though there's no sponge cake and, uh, and brandy, which the Hasidim insist upon, but, you know, we mismagdim can think about sponge cake and brandy, and that's good enough for us. All the best.